1: This isn't your average business podcast, and he's not your average host. This is the James Altucher Show on the Choose Yourself Network. Today on the James Altucher Show.
2: I always always say this, James, I, I say this to people, maybe your listeners will consider it. Pain always leaves a gift behind, that in its presence, it is hard to detect. But after the pain dissipates, there's always a gift left behind. Some wisdom, some nugget, some stronger you, some resolution, some conclusion about life. It leaves a gift behind. As long as you do not get stuck within a pathology of pain and fail to evolve and get bitter instead of better. Do you,
0: you know, that's an interesting way to put it, getting stuck within the pathology of pain. You often see people Try to use a victim strategy to move forward. Like, Mm -hmm. I was a victim, so now I should get mine. And I think that's a very, like, when they're suffering, it's almost like there's two ways to get out of it. One is to say, okay, I'm a victim. Mm -hmm. And then there's the other side, which is what you're saying, which is, you know, explore what the gift is. Absolutely. When you're sitting in the middle of it, though, it of course, does not feel like you could get out of
2: it. Yeah, right. You know, um, somebody asked me, how do you survive crushing? I said, you have no choice. Nobody wants to be crushed. Nobody wants to be crucified. Nobody wants to suffer. It's foolish to sit here and say, oh, I want to be crushed. No, 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 I never want to be crushed. But sometimes things happen to us that we did not choose, but we can choose how we respond to it.
0: so back for a second time i am really grateful that t.d jakes bishop t.d jakes author of the brand new book crushing how god turns pressure into power is back on the uh, back on the james altucher show bishop welcome back to the show
2: james i'm honored to be back with you again i had a good time last time and i'm grateful you to have me back
0: i did as well you know the, the message you started so many years ago with just that people can get power to succeed and to get out of their suffering and to even whether it's being an entrepreneur or being it, self-sufficient yes. or finding freedom yes. and and i feel with this book crushing you continue that message but in a slightly different way and i and i actually didn't get the metaphor until you explicitly said it that's how dumb i was in the very beginning i thought okay <laughs> crushing like that i get that feeling of of suffering or being crushed. But mm-hmm. then you make this the beautiful metaphor that it's like wine. Yeah. And um, we get into the stories that started, but maybe describe the metaphor.
2: Well, the metaphor is built around uh, Passover communion ideologies, around wine itself, about the whole transition from grapes uh, to wine, in between the success of bringing a plant to fruition where it is grapes there is a crushing through which it becomes wine. And uh, so the metaphor exists in the context that in order to really be our best selves, many times our best selves are an evolution from some crushing experience that made us feel threatened and, and maybe ruined. And out of the ashes of that disparity emerges a new and better self that we would have never met had we not gone through what we went through.
0: You know, I I related so much to that message. I mean, I've been through my own experiences of crushing many times, Mm -hmm. but I wonder if everyone has, like, do you think one does need to have some of this? suffering some of this fermentation Mm -hmm. um in order to to move forward in order to gain some wisdom or or to get to the other side
2: i think it is impossible to have uh growth without pain Uh, i think everyone in some way has it it may not end in the final result of being Uh, Successful within the definition and the context the way that our society describes it today But in order to evolve as a mother as a wife as a husband as a man as a father In between those steps are moments of crushing because we learn how to walk from falling Uh, everything that we do is It's what did we get out of it? I always always say this, James. I, I say this to people, maybe your listeners will consider it. Pain always leaves a gift behind. That in its presence, it is hard to detect. But after the pain dissipates, there's always a gift left behind. Some wisdom, some nugget, some stronger you, some resolution, some conclusion about life. It leaves a gift behind, as long as you do not, and that's what the book really deals with, as long as you do not get stuck within a pathology of pain and fail to evolve and get bitter instead of better. Do you,
0: you know, that's an interesting way to put it, getting stuck within the pathology of pain. You often see people try to use a victim strategy to move forward. Like, Mm -hmm. I was a victim, so now I should get mine and i think that's a very like when they're suffering it's almost like there's two ways to get out of it one is to say okay i'm a victim whatever happens happens but hopefully good things will happen Mm -hmm. and then there's the other side which is what you're saying which is you know explore what the gift is in the absolutely absolutely when you're sitting in the middle of it though and you described several instances in this book where you were sitting in the middle of it it of course does not feel like you could get out of it. Like you, you could say, it's very easy to tell yourself, what if God's plan for me is to fail miserably?
2: Yeah, right. You know, um, there comes a point in depression or pain or crushing where uh, I believe God throws you a rope, but if you don't grab it, you don't come out. So many people get stuck in the, in the pathology of pain because they refuse to recover when there is a moment when there is daylight when there is hope uh, they dismiss it they walk away because hope takes effort it takes fight it takes drive uh, to hope again especially especially after failure and you think maybe some
0: people enjoy also what they're getting out of being a victim. Maybe they get more attention. Maybe they get, they feel sorry for themselves. (laughs) There's some pleasure in that as well.
2: Yeah, well, the thing about it is this, one of the things that has made us survive as a species for thousands of years is the fact that our bodies, our minds, were designed to adapt to our environment. And while that has made us sustainable for centuries and thousands of years, it also has a negative connotation because on the flip side of that is, We adjust to painful situations, and they become new norms for us. And whether we're enjoying it or not, we become accustomed to it, and it becomes our default setting. And many, many times this is why, um, say, a girl with a history of dating bad men continually goes to them when she meets nice men. she's not attracted to them she's adapted to a certain type of man that adaptability is what we have to break if uh, if we are going to become the wine if we are going to get up off the floor being crushed then we have to adapt to the possibility that there's more for us than what we have right now and in order to do that we have to give up our lesser self To become our greater self
0: and and how do you so so let's say something horrible happens and i'm there on the ground and i think okay this time i'm just not getting out of this i'm i'm a little too old i have a little a few too many bills i have too many responsibilities i just can't i just don't have the energy anymore to keep going and For you, you're saying that's me falling into my lesser self, but how do I then, just when it's most difficult, how do I make that move towards a higher self?
2: In the book, I describe the difference between being buried and being planted. Uh, Both of them look like they're the same thing. Uh, You dig up a hole, you plant a seed, or you plant a person, you plant whatever inside. It looks like the same thing. The only difference is when you are planted, you resurrect and uh, when you resurrect you never resurrect looking like what was planted the challenge for us the only thing and this is often difficult to do is in the process even of being planted it is the death of what we had in mind before the 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 plant never looks like the seed and if you are willing to give up what you had in mind and you can discover a new you Maybe a you that is, isn't married anymore. Maybe a you that doesn't live in a mansion anymore. Maybe the you now lives in a trailer. That doesn't always have to be bad because some people choose the wealth of peace or the wealth of health or the wealth of tranquility. It, it, I'm talking about being renewed in your mind and, and finding a way to enjoy your life even when the life you had in mind had been disrupted. And do you think there's a way
0: to kind of change mindset? Like, let's say my mindset is like, no, I can only be happy if X, Y, Z happen. Right. You know, like you you you, you mentioned the metaphor of the seed uh, quite a bit in the book, and and you have given example. If a seed of wheat falls to the ground, mm-hmm. the seed dies, but in its place, you know, wheat grows, and many more seeds are are created. <laughs> mm-hmm. But when you're dying on the ground, you don't necessarily say, oh, well, okay, I just need to die here, and then lots more seeds are going to No, 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 no,
2: not in the moment. In, nobody's smart in pain. <laughs> you know That's what? a good way to put it, it. It's hard to be intellectual when you're bleeding. And, and, and whether that pain is physical or emotional is irrelevant because the reality is one of the things that I tried to make clear is that the brain processes pain the same. Irregardless to whether it's emotional or whether it's physical pain, the same nerve endings that go to the brain that notify neurologically the brain that it is in trouble, it does not distinguish heartbreak from a knife wound. So there you are dealing with a painful moment. It is smart. It is impossible to be wise and in pain because you you kick into survival mode. It is after the pain dissipates that it is wisest to try to determine what was that about. Not in the middle of it. I learned as a pastor uh, not to walk into grieving families and try to explain death Mm. Uh, because death is the kind of grief that you have to survive it, not explain it. Uh, The rationale, the reasons, the logic, the sensibility sometimes never comes, but most in generally, Comes years later that if this hadn't happened, then that would never happen, and we begin to find some place of uh, resolution—not necessarily closure, but resolve and understanding that there. I believe that there is some method to the madness of our lives. That some what what looks like a bunch of rags on the floor is really God quilting our lives together into something beautiful if we're willing to pick up the pieces. And you know,
0: you mentioned, and I, I. I love this extension of the metaphor. You mentioned, of course, when when grape juice is being made into wine. Essentially, it doesn't happen in a second or an hour in a day. Very important part of this process of turning pain into power or into wisdom or whatever is waiting. Right. And right. you know, you're, there's lots of books about you know you fail to succeed. You know, you fail first, fail forward, failing yeah. and succeed. But uh, it's a good concept that there's power in waiting. Well, yeah, and, patience. and, and,
2: and nobody, nobody talks about waiting anymore. Waiting has gone completely out of style. We don't wait for anything. Everything must be instant, faster, 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 faster. Technology is amazing as it is and as wonderful as it is. People who were raised by technology do well with things that respond quickly and in predictable ways. They don't do well with things that don't respond quickly and in predictable ways. So a lot of times we do better with our phones than we do with our friends. We do better with our phones than we do with our wives. We do better with our phones than we do with our children because humanity doesn't always respond in predictable ways. And a lot of times in the process of discovering that there is a distinction between uh, what the way you think things ought to go and how they go you have to learn how to wait and you have to learn how to be patient we don't we're not good waiters <laughs> we're not good we want everything now and we want what we want when we want it And and perhaps it is possible to get things quickly there are certainly people that have become successful quickly that have overcome quickly that have bounced back quickly Uh, But I'm a little bit leery of things that happen too fast. There's a reason it takes nine months to incubate the baby. There's a reason that there's a process involved in the best wine, in the best food. It's not cooked quickly. It's a dying art today. Culinary skills are a dying art today because now everything, you can just drive by and get it fast. And it's edible, but it is not as good as it is if you wait on it to really marinate a while. And life is like that. It has to marinate a while. Uh, marriage is like that. It has to marinate a while. It has to go through different seasons and fluctuations. But to the people that are listening at us right now, if you're expecting your life to work like your phone, you might be crushed the rest of your life because life doesn't always respond in predictable, in predictable ways. So let's... let's...
0: Let's talk about some of the your personal stories that you mentioned in the book. And you start off the book with one that's was very personal to you with with your daughter. Mm-hmm. If you want to, you do
2: you want to describe, or I could describe it maybe better. <laughs> <I'll let you laughs> I don't, I don't, I don't it. mind. Well, it, it was a very unique time in my life. It comes after a series of troubling times, and the, the weird thing, and I don't uh, I don't know uh, how exhaustive I described it, but the weird thing about it is, it was the best time in my career my life my ministry my books my movies everything was exploding very positively but sometimes that's also the most dangerous time Yes, things could collapse you know and 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 not just collapse it is also that simultaneously on one hand things were going amazingly well on the other hand my mother-in-law died Mm. uh so uh, people are looking at what's going right in your life and either applauding you or being jealous or insecure. You, On the other hand, you're suffering in, in, in ways that they don't detect. And the funny thing about suffering in invisible ways, suffering in invisible ways doesn't draw comfort. So my mother-in-law died. Uh, my mother developed Alzheimer's I moved her into my house so even though my ministry was exploding my business was exploding my career was exploding I still came home every night trying to get my mother to swallow applesauce in the evening Mm -hmm. it's 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 the yin and the yang of life and if that were not enough then my 13 year old daughter walks in the room one day and tells me and her mother that she's pregnant and I swear it felt like all the air went out of the room it's it's the combined effect of this on top of that on top of the other that that gradually pushes you into a place of crushing i used that illustration in the book because as my protective nature wanted to spare her from pain or suffering or rejection or people criticizing her much more so than i was worried about what people thought of me now fast forward almost 20 years later that same daughter is an author in her own right she's speaking all over the country she's speaking in more places than i am she's found herself she's got a line of clothing she's opened up a business company and much of what happened in her life positively is the reverberating thrust of what happened negatively like an arrow pulled back. She only shot forward because she had been pulled back. She had something to prove to herself. She had something to prove to the world. She took herself seriously because she she felt like she had to recover. She didn't pull up right then. She wasn't gonna pull up at all. It's almost like a, a student from a third world country who gets a chance at an education generally outruns those of us who were raised in the lap of luxury and we can contemplate whether we want to school, we'll go to school or get high. But if you have been living in the slums in Soweto and you get an opportunity uh, to go to Harvard, you are serious about it because what pulled you back is also the thing that pushes you forward. When I talk about being crushed, I'm talking about the advantages of being crushed, that I find that crushing is thrusting you into new dimensions if you learn how to use it the right way. Look, let me ask you this because, and this is related to to you and your experience
0: with, with your daughter and your and your family what if what if you feel like you've enabled like I feel like this my generation of parenting so I'm a parent what if you feel like you enabled your kids too much and I think that's different from when I was a kid nobody enabled me when I was a kid but now things it's too easy there's so many ways that you could help your kids through suffering that you don't give them the chance to find that—that that crushing sometimes.
2: I think we absolutely were enablers, and that's why I think we owe an obligation to the generation beneath us to go back and get them and walk them and talk them into recovery. I think we did it unintentionally, but we—yeah, it's all
0: had good intentions.
2: It's good intentions. We wanted to save them from what what our parents took <laughs> us through, but but we also saved them from the very thing that gave us the thrust to be tough and to rise again. We, we made things easy. Uh, we didn't require enough. We gave them a false sense of reality. And then when they ran out into the real world, now they feel abused by what we would have called normal mm-hmm. uh, because we created this pseudo uh, world that was really uh, a figment of our success. And thereby we could control the elements and we could make it easier and you didn't have to do this and you didn't have to eat that and you you didn't have to do chores and so, so and then when you get out where you have to do now have to do seems abusive but that's not really their fault because in our attempt to lavish them with love and the benefits we worked so hard to give them in some ways we crippled them because we denied them the crushing that would have given them the thrust to have the upward mobility that they need independent and of themselves
0: so when when you were in the room and and your daughter tells you she's pregnant what was
2: your very first reaction to her my very first reaction i was so shocked mm-hmm. because it wasn't like she was the kind of girl that you would see this coming it wasn't that she was uh flashy or had she had never been on a date or anything it was just It was just, I I can't even find a word to describe the level of shock uh, that that was for us. And then it was definitely not what we had in mind for her. It was definitely not what I wanted. I I was very upset, very hurt. She was very hurt. I, I can remember vividly holding her in my arms and feeling her tears wet my chest and feeling my tears fall into her hair. Because did she feel like she had let you down? Did
0: you feel like you had let her down?
2: I think both. Mm-hmm. I think both. I think I blamed me. I think she blamed her. I think we blamed each other because parents always think that whatever happens to the children is somehow their fault, whether it is or it isn't. You, you at least have to consider the fact that maybe had I been there more, done this more, that would not have happened. And that's that's a, a justifiable consideration to talk about. Uh, the child figures, you know, I've shamed the family. I've done this, that, or the other. In, but in reality, we were both wrong from this perspective, the, the greatness that I see in her today, and she, she is absolutely an amazing woman, I have to attribute back to the tragedies that she took in then. And then I ask myself this question, there are some girls who go through what she went through who never escape. So crushing is about, we can't always control what happens to us, but we must manage how we react to what happens to us.
0: Right? Because there's a, there's an element of of surrender in all of this, right? Mm-hmm. Like when you, mm-hmm. um, I, I don't know much actually about the process of making wine, but a lot of it depends upon forces outside of your control, like the mm-hmm. weather that mm-hmm. season, mm-hmm. things like that. And it seems like part of the Part of the alchemy here is is learning how to to do that
2: surrender. Surrender is so important, and it is so hard for me because being a type A person, you know, I want to make it turn out the way I want to make it turn out. And so I spent several weeks, you know, having a temper tantrum because life didn't go the way I wanted it to go. And then I do, somebody asked me, how, to, how do you survive crushing or what do you do? I said, you have no choice. Because the level of crushing that I'm talking about, whether it is physical, whether it is through tragedies, whether it is emotional, the level of crushing, if nobody wants to be crushed, nobody wants to be crucified, nobody wants to suffer, uh, it's foolish to sit here and say, oh, I want to be crushed. No, 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 I never want to be crushed. But sometimes things happen to us that we did not choose, but we can choose how we respond to it. Maybe not initially, we respond to it very humanly, disappointed, upset, angry, frustrated, run, try to overcome it, try to get away. And then there is that that word that you use, that, that powerful word that you introduced into our conversation, which is in, in, a, in and of itself a gift to the conversation, the word surrender. Because it is so powerful because on one hand to someone it suggests defeat, surrender, I give up. But to me, it suggests victory because surrender comes with the confidence that everything's going to be all right if I take my hands off the wheel and let what happens happen. And that's what had to happen with my daughter. I had to let her go. I had to let her go to what God had in mind as opposed to what I had in mind and then over time realize his plan was so much better than mine.
0: And, and there's this, a second layer, of course, which is, your career was doing so well. You know your your ministry was was growing. Everything was happening. You also had to to surrender to the fact that you could deliver the message of what was happening, but you couldn't control people's reaction to it. That's right. And I don't know if that was difficult for you. Like it was sort of a test of the strength of your community that it grew even much larger, of course, over the
2: years. But were you nervous? Well, the thing for me that was uh, absolutely paralyzing about that moment is the depth of our pain is determined by the depth of our love. If you don't have much capacity to love, you don't have much capacity to hurt. The, the, The vast, voluminous type of love with which I love, has the side effect of creating a vulnerability for pain and disappointment of equal scale, Mm. okay? So when you take a person who has a capacity, a 500-gallon drum capacity to love you, they also have a 500-gallon drum capacity to hurt or to be disappointed, or to be angry. And it's the yin and yang of life. There are some people who would not relate to what we're talking about at all because their pint-sized emotion only allows them to contribute a minuscule amount of attention to any kind of affection. So if there's little investment, there's little return, and there's little chance of robbery, you can't rob somebody who has nothing to take. So, uh, it did, so the truth of what you read when you read questioning depends on how vast and how deep you are. For me, that was extremely painful, but it was only painful to the degree that I love. Nobody can hurt you like somebody you love. And I think that, that that while crushing is good, it's great at this season, it's a great book to uh, uh, my faith. It, it metaphors it perfectly uh, through death, burial, and resurrection. Uh, but beyond all of that, our times, Tiger Woods, what just happened to him? You know, it's a it's, it's a picturesque moment of somebody that we counted out and thought was over, and he fought his way back through surgeries and scandals, and and then all of a sudden has this momentous moment again. That's what's that's what's amazing about life is that you never know how the story's going to end. You never know what's going to come back up again out of the ground.
0: And it's eleven years of patience in in his case as well. Mm-hmm. The reason, also though, I brought up the congregation is I do think there's surrender, but there's also community, and you know, and how strong is you know there's this saying, you know, I don't know if I'm getting this saying right, but treat people well on the way up, mm-hmm. because certainly when you're on the way down, you want them to treat you well. And I'm not saying you went up and and down, but it's just like, you know, Jesus, it, the the disciples themselves after. He was on the cross. They Mm -hmm. had to come together as a community and it tested Mm -hmm. the strength of their community instead of Peter just going back to fishing, he had to create something.
2: One of the things I love about the community that I come from is that minorities, as much as we may complain and bicker and fight amongst ourselves, we have only survived because back in the corner, shoved to the wall, we stick together. And that propensity is something that only the oppressed will understand. Oppression demands unification, or you would discover extinction. And so there is, a, there is an unspoken code that even though we may disapprove and we may chasten one another privately, there, there, there is something innately in the fibers of our culture that says uh, there is a certain loyalty that emerges even out of uh, frustration amongst us. So when you start talking about our congregation or our community at large, we have uh, an ability to unite and wrap ourselves around each other uh, in times of crisis. And I hope that doesn't die out from generation to generation. I see it being challenged more with the younger generation than it was with us and probably more with us than it was with our Mm -hmm. parents. But there's no way to survive slavery and hangings and murders and rapes and killings by the police who are supposed to protect you, uh, by people who sold you, by people who chased you down with dogs and killed you. You don't survive those atrocities without a bond developing in in the suffering.
0: And I, And I think that is something that could be— Emulated or hoped to be emulated by anyone going through suffering, the, the building of community, the building like the way you took in your mother with, who, with, with Alzheimer's, the building the building of the strong connections in your life. It seems
2: that's the, the bridge that crosses over the, the fire when you need it. Let's talk about the Jewish community. Much can be said along the same lines about your ability to unify and connect with each other and bond together. Even though you might not agree about everything, you find ways to connect when you're oppressed because you have been through struggles. But it is not just ethnic minorities. It is the minorities of people who have special needs children have to build fraternity amongst themselves, or, or single mothers have to build fraternity around themselves, or single fathers. The, the, it's, it's what uh, psychologists would just use as support groups. And the community is how you define it. It may not always be by skin. Uh, what, what's kin to us isn't always skin to us. Finding some bond where where we connect with a group of people that support us is critical to survive the questions of life. It, Jesus had Peter, James, and John. It doesn't have to be a big circle. It can be three people. But if they if they secrete some mineral, some substance, some atmosphere that that puts ashes on your sores and eases your pain then surround yourself with that. I think that's very good. As a pastor, I tell people when they're grieving, uh, be around who you want to be around. Be around who you trust. Be around who you feel like being around. Be around uh, people that, that, that comfort you in, in your crisis. Support going through adversity is important. My bottom line point is, We use terms Democrat, Republican, conservative, liberal, Jewish, Black, American, gay, straight. Just because a person looks like you or does what you do doesn't mean that they are your community. Sometimes we find fraternity in the strangest places, but find it we must. Because regardless to the oddity of the bedfellows we find ourselves connected to, there is fellowship when we're all in the same ship.
0: So the 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 flip side of that is also that sometimes the people you thought were in your community, for whatever reason, um, might actually be the exact people who are most toxic to you. Absolutely, people who are most toxic to you are only going to be the people who are close (laughs) to you. It's not. It's never your neighbor down the street because you don't know them.
2: Yeah, it's your.
0: It's your. So how do you how do you um, kind of navigate those waters? Identifying toxicity,
2: no matter what the relationship and and kind of navigating that? The wine dresser knows when he plants a grape, what soil is needed for the grapevine to grow. And even if the soil is not naturally inclined to produce the minerals that are necessary, he artificially adds it to the soil until it reaches the right level of alkaline and chemicals to produce the best plant. By that I mean sometimes you have to create the circle. The circle may not be determined by area code or skin color or historical background. One of the greatest questions that they ever asked Jesus in the Bible, one of the most profound questions which he so eloquently answered is, Who is my neighbor? And, and, and the substratum of the whole question itself exists around the ideology of, do I define my neighbor as my ethnicity? Do I define my neighbor by my community? And he goes into the story of the Good Samaritan to show that sometimes the person who gives you the most hope in this case, a good Samaritan maybe somebody with whom you had the greatest revile. That's why prejudice can often be an enemy uh, to destiny because sometimes God uses people that you had preconceived ideologies about. Uh, he uses them to help you, and the very people you thought would always be there for you may not be there for you. The one thing that is definite is when you are crushed, you become far less prejudiced. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because if I'm in a car wreck, I don't care who's driving the ambulance. If I'm leaving on the side of the road, I don't care how you spell my doctor's name. I just want him to make me better.
0: That reminds me of uh when, when Ronald Reagan was shot in the chest and he's being wheeled into the hospital and he says to the do- the doctor says, You know, Mr. President, I'm gonna operate on you. And he, he Ronald Reagan said, I, I hope you're a Republican. <laughs> so I, I don't know if the doctor was or not, but he survived the, the surgery. <laughs> yeah, that,
2: that's what's important, isn't so,
0: it? Yeah. So, so, you know, I didn't know this, but you, I didn't know that the, historically or in the chronology of the New Testament that um, the, the miracle where Jesus fills the water bowls with wine or the water uh, barrels mm-hmm. with wine was the very first miracle that he actually performed.
2: I didn't know that. Yes, absolutely. And a, and a miracle out of step and out of time with what he had planned to do for himself. It is the very first miracle. It happens at the oddest of places.
0: Yeah, and as you put it, it's almost like because Mary's the one who kind of got, pushed him, nudged him at the wedding. Yeah. And he's almost, you kind of make the joke almost and look, he's like, Mom. You're right. Wasn't, <laughs> right. wasn't what
2: I wanted to do. Right, exactly, exactly. <laughs> and, and it's such a crazy, amazing. A moment that occurs, uh, and, and I thought it was significant that the first miracle that we see him do centers around wine, and the last drink we see him have before the cross is around wine. And the final promise is, I will not drink any more wine until I drink it new with you in the kingdom of God. All of this inference about wine from Adam, take, go out into the garden and dress it. I've given you the ground to till the soil to the very last end. It makes me wonder when Jesus holds up the cup, Uh, If there's more to see in the cup than just wine itself, is not the wine a metaphor to his own life that like the grape who was crushed to become wine, he also would go through a crushing, and the disciples who sat around the table would join him in crushing, and those who read the book and believe it will go through crushings, and those who don't believe the book will also go through crushings. That we have in common. How we respond to those crushings, depends on what's inside of us.
0: And 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 there's the idea that wine is often you know drunk at celebrations, it's a way for or a wedding, so it's a way for two families to to bond, it's a mm-hmm. way for two countries to bond when when they celebrate a treaty or whatever. So it's interesting that again it's it's this idea of patience and waiting and surrender to get the wine that you want. It's a way for community. There's this aspect of crushing what was there before for, for to have rebirth. Yes. Uh, so, so it becomes this beautiful metaphor throughout your book, Crushing, and, of course, the New Testament. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the so, Old Testament, every, every oh, Testament. Oh, absolutely, <laughs> yeah, every so, Testament.
2: I mean, th- this is where our faiths clap their hands, though the terms are different in the understanding, the revelations are different from Passover to communion. The, the same truth is reinforced. They both bring to us something that we must remember, something uh, that freedom costs something, that freedom never goes on sale, that uh, the Passover reminds us of of the bloody lambs uh, that were painted on the doorposts, and the communion reminds us of blood dripping down across in in the palestinian heat uh outside of the walls of jerusalem they they all say to us uh that freedom has a price slavery says that freedom has a price america proves to us that freedom came through blood
0: how would you define freedom on a soul level or a spiritual level so for instance like you use the example of someone who continually goes out with the same sort of person that might not be good for them, gets trapped in that cycle. How do you get out of these emotional jails, which, which you also point out is just as strong and powerful as the physical jails we find ourselves in?
2: You know, uh, first of all, I think I would define freedom as uh, a surrender to destiny being liberated from the agony of ambition to be like you and to finally appreciate the wonderment is in being like me. That I was never weighed on the scale of you. Those are things we do to ourselves and thereby torment ourselves and inflict poof wounds upon ourselves. For example, what is pretty? Who says? What is attractive? In 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 the twenties, we thought that people who were overweight were the most attractive because they being fat was successful. And then we changed our minds, and then it became small. Wait a minute, take back the definition of success from other people, and 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 be free to be the best you. Do, do you find
0: yourself thinking that, like when you you tell the story when you the first seven years. Of your ministry, you weren't yet preaching you weren't you weren't yet probably in in yourself you were thinking I could do so much more why why is this not happening for me yet? I mean I'm just guessing that that was going through your head but you meant you allude to it in the book.
2: Was that happening? Were you no no because I never I never set out to be uh, famous. I never really liked it. Um, I think it's really really overrated. Uh, I, I, I never wanted to be bigger. I wanted to be better. I, I, I never wanted to be a big person. I wanted to be a great person. The only thing I've ever asked of my children is not that they be famous or that they be rich, but that they be great people. And, and the distinction between big people and great people is opportunities or money can make you big. But if you're a little man, you're just a little man in a big house with a big car, with a big bank account, and that littleness still bleeds through. Mm -hmm. To be great has nothing to do with money or fame or fortune. And so even when I was struggling and even when things were small, it wasn't as bad as it reads when I describe it. I mean, everything I said about it was true. But one, you have to realize I had nothing to compare it to, and two— you have to realize that my goal wasn't to turn into uh, something famous or, or measured by this world, and it still isn't. The things I like most about me have nothing to do with you <laughs> or, or anyone else. It has everything to do with me. Taking back that power over how you define what you are to be in your life if you're good with it and God is good with it, why do we need everybody else to clap? And I guess through this cru- the crushing
0: that happens along the way, this is what sort of carves the uniqueness. Nobody gets crushed in the
2: exact same way. Right, I, and I've had many, I mean, I was born in between two dead babies. The day, baby before me died and the baby after me died. Mm-hmm. My mother raised me the way she did because both babies before and after died. It, it was There was a different intensity for a mother who's lost two babies. How she raises that one child that lives is different. Uh, my father got sick when I was 10. He died when I was 16. I grew up in a house where center stage of the dining room table was sickness. It wasn't happiness. It wasn't in Turkey. Whenever there's massive sickness in the house, the sickness becomes the lead character in the house, and everything else has to morph itself around the person who has a need beyond yourself. Uh, all of those things, though, uh, as tough as they were, and they were really tough for a kid, uh, they they shaped me in ways that were very important. I wouldn't ask for them. I would never. I wouldn't have ordered them out of a catalog. Uh, but we don't we don't get to choose the tools that carve us. We don't get to choose them. And and once we have been carved, to me, freedom and peace is accepting the end result, and you being happy with you fixing the things that are broken to the degree that you can, and then recognizing that you cannot allow someone else to define your level of accomplishment because they don't have your level of experiences. Well, uh,
0: Bishop T.D. Jakes, you're, you're uh, an inspiration to millions and millions of people who, who listen to you. Uh, I encourage people to actually watch as many videos of you as possible on <laughs> YouTube. You're amazing. Uh, your your recent book, uh, Crushing, or you just your just came out, Crushing. God turns pressure into power is such a beautiful metaphor, and I and I really like so many aspects of it. The idea of 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 the crushing creating the wine, but also the the waiting in the middle, mm-hmm. the the community, how this has been interwoven into so many cultures. This metaphor and, and and how you bring it into your book with your own stories. It's a beautiful book. I hope people read it and. As usual, I enjoy our conversations.
2: Uh, They're the best. I
0: I hope every time you come to New York, you you stop by.
2: I I love it every time (laughs) we do. You're a bright and uh, deep-thinking individual, and that certainly lends itself to understanding why so many people follow you and listen to you as well. Thank you. Thank you, Bishop. Thank you. Good, thanks. That was so good. <laughs> yeah, it was a good conversation. Yeah, I could have
0: yeah. kept going. I know he gave me this. Yeah, I, I, yeah <laughs> I could tell he gave me the
2: son to rap. I'm used to those cues. But. See...